We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Rovey. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Listeners, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we talk about a great character in a great story, except when we don't. I'm Joe Dorowski. And I'm Todd Mack. This is our annual Christmas episode, in which, if you've never heard before, the premise is that Andrew, our producer, will, well, he already has sent to both Todd and myself a list of titles for Christmas specials. Christmas movies. Christmas movies or, or TV specials. I think we've had some times. But just yeah. Christmas entertainment that Todd nor I have ever seen. We have no idea what these things are. And Todd and I each write a plot and then producer Andrew reveals the actual plot and producer Andrew in a very unbiased manner selects which one <laughs> I mean, we most I, like to see produced. I don't one. genuinely have or a stake film. in this because <laughs> I am reading the plots of actual movies that I did not receive any benefit for their existence. Yeah. And I've got to say, listeners, you'll probably hear some craziness coming from me and Todd <laughs> as we make up our plots. Nothing will ever equal the level of crazy from the actually produced film the custom Mary <laughs> from our very first Christmas special. Go back and listen to year one's Christmas special. You won't believe what the custom Mary is really about. Incidentally, <laughs> that is not only the craziest plot that we've ever read on this show. Made up or real. Uh, the plot that Joseph made up for the custom Mary has been, I think, reported consistently from multiple people as that one's really got something. You should make that <laughs> yeah. one. Like that one has a lot of heart. And so the, the juxtaposition of Joseph's actual pitch for the custom Mary and the legitimate film for the custom Mary is something to behold. Year one is also where we get Todd's. I don't remember what the title he was working from was, but uh, the reindeer <laughs> descriptions. That was a uh, wish, wishing and hoping wishing <laughs> and hoping. That is one of my favorite comedic <laughs> moments. Uh, just know there's a great joke set up in year one, but let's see what we get this year. We mm-hmm. just found out Todd is operating on battery power on his laptop, so, so we, we are we can't we're, dawdle. We're, we're cruising. <laughs> this is year three for us. Year three of our Christmas special. This is going to mark uh, 21 pitches that each of you have written for Christmas movies. Yes. <laughs> and uh, listeners. And, and yet, not a single know, one of them has been produced. I know. I know. And also, I'm not going to promise that there may... I, I didn't go back and re-listen to those earlier episodes. I may have copied myself. There may be some self-plagiarism at some point. It's accidental. Accidental self-plagiarism if it comes up. I think you're going to be okay. So far, nobody's paid money for any of these. Ideas. Yes. Right. All right. To see. But if you'd like to, we are open to the possibilities. Yes. If anyone right. wants to produce one of these, we can talk. Uh, really? See... Uh, I'd be willing. To, I'm just going to say right now, I'm willing to workshop any of these ideas. <laughs> I mean. You are not. <laughs> I am not married. To any of uh, the specifics of any of these. Yeah, you're not going to be, uh, you know, throwing tantrums if, if a name gets changed or anything. No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Well, traditionally, uh, the way this works is Andrew tosses a coin or some other object. I and... think it is 
rarely been a coin. <laughs> and whoever um, wins the toss gets to choose which summary they want to read first, which title they Are want we to gonna go. Are we going to do it? We're going to do it football style, right? So you can either choose to oh, uh, you, yes, you can, kick or defer. Yes. And then the, and then that, that will um, maintain the order back and forth. But then whoever yes. is going first will choose uh, the title that they want to pitch okay. in that round. Right. All right, Todd, you're going to call He's flipping a hat. It's the Indiana Jones style hat from uh, our Halloween. So okay. call upside down or right side up. I'm going to call right side up. It was upside down. So Joseph gets the ah, option. And I am 100% deferring. It's <laughs> oh, on okay. you, Todd. <laughs> what? I, I've got to say, right. uh, in the past, we've had some fun names like Wishing and Hoping and Danger in the Manger. In nativity too, Danger in the Manger. <laughs> yes. Uh, but this year, they were a little more generic. So in some ways, that caused Todd and I to have a little more consternation as we were writing this. Should, there was less immediate muse speaking. Should I us. give a rundown of the... Uh, Full set of titles. No, I'd say let's let, let's let the reader or listeners discover as, it, as we go through. Yeah, let's let it unfold. Okay. Then, okay. Todd, I'm just gonna. What is the? I'm just gonna start at the top with switched for Christmas. Switched for Christmas, and I, I'll also say I feel like I kind of lost track of the word count on many of these. <laughs> so. And uh, and this this isn't the most polished writing that I've ever done, but here we go. Hey, Todd, uh, just a, a big heads up. Neither are some of the things I'm reading off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Johnny and his father, Sam, have, have always had a tough relationship. After Sam's wife died while delivering Johnny, Sam was forced to raise his son on his own. He did his best, but Sam's wife's absence, ha- absence haunts him, and his pain and fear uh, led him to be tough on Johnny. Johnny, for his part, resents his father for having been tough on him. He's ashamed of Sam's humble job as a farmer and has always wished he could have lived in a city, gone to a big school, and had lots of friends. So when he gets a chance to enlist in the army, he takes it. And then we see, so that's sort of act one. Act two, we see intercut scenes of Sam working away at home while Johnny uh, turns into a fine soldier. But then Johnny is gravely injured in battle just a few days before Christmas. Sam receives word on Christmas Eve, and in his grief, he falls on his knees and asks God to save Johnny and take him instead. Then he falls on his bed, and when he opens his eyes, he's in a military hospital bed. His body's racked with pain. At the same time, Johnny opens his eyes in Sam's old body back on the farm. And now we see Johnny's soldier friends uh, stop by his side to see their friend and offer their thanks uh, to him for saving their lives. And as the film ends, we see uh, so, and then and then Sam passes away and then as the film ends we see johnny now in his father's body realizing uh what has happened to him and the sacrifice that his father uh gave to take care of him and uh and he determines to be a good man for the rest of his life so i I, I saw the freaky friday (laughs) twist coming i thought they'd learn something and switch back (laughs) you did not think it was going to end with the older man dying in his son's body and the younger son living the rest of the old man's life yeah, it's sort of a, it's Freaky Friday meets uh, Les Mis meets, um, I don't know. Some, something extremely tragic. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a rough tragedy. All right. Well, mine is a very different tone. Mine, <laughs> uh, so my, my, my switch for Christmas was my uh, pitch for a, a Rankin Bass stop motion style. Uh, so think Rudolph. Uh, <laughs> um, and here we go. On Trickster Island. 
Hermes, Loki, Coyote, Puck, Br'er Rabbit, Eris, the Monkey King, and Frost decide it's time for their biggest trick ever. They're going to trick the entire world and take Santa down a peg or two at the same time. An elaborate <laughs> plan is laid to switch out his reindeer for the non-magical variety and enjoy a good laugh when they watch Santa struggle and nobody gets a Christmas present. Aww. We see a heist-style sequence of all the tricksters <laughs> using their powers and methods to sneak through the North Pole and break into the North Pole reindeer compound. Of course, hijinks and comedy ensue because they are also trying to sneak in eight unruly, untrained reindeer that Puck and Eris found in a Canadian forest. After much craziness including Monkey King and Br'er Rabbit in a wrestling match with Blitzen, Coyote getting distracted by the smells coming from the North Pole Bakery, and Hermes having to turn himself into an elf and join a toy-making crew, the tricksters succeed in getting all eight of Santa's reindeers out of the North Pole and all eight of the ones they stole from Canada in. As they settle in on a hill with binoculars to watch Santa discover their mischief, they're shocked. When they see Santa's sleigh take off with no problem <laughs> at all. Shocked. Uh, they look at each other and then over at the reindeer, which they stole. And in front of the reindeer, Mrs. Claus is standing, juggling eight pieces of coal. My husband knows if you've been naughty or nice. We knew what you were doing all along. I put Santa's magical reindeer in Canada for you to find. You actually returned Santa's reindeer to him tonight. And the tricksters <laughs> begin to run as Mrs. Claus tosses coal after them. <laughs> That's a great um, story. Just yeah. like yours, Todd. Just like okay. yours. Uh, one clarification. Hermes, in this case, is not the same as Hermes the Elf. No, not Hermes Ruffer the Elf. Okay. Hermes the Greek god of yeah. thieves. Yeah. The the Hermes. Yes. Um, is there, as Mrs. Claus is explaining this, is there a montage of her stealthy mission to oh. switch the reindeer in the first place? So you get a dual heist montage? Oh, you better believe it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is charming, Joseph. I wait, wait. We got to know uh, what the real switch to Christmas plot is yeah. before you choose which which film should go into production. Yeah. All right. Uh, so this is uh, new this year on Hallmark. Switched for Christmas, starring uh, Candace Cameron Burr in one of her semi regular Hallmark Christmas movie roles. She's Full House veteran, right? Yes, that's the yes. one. Just because they are identical does not mean these twins even like each other. Estranged twin sisters get together for an obligatory pre-Christmas lunch a year after their mother died. Both women are unhappy and frustrated with their own lives. Though not close, each is envious of the other's life. What's a twin to do but take advantage of this? And who would be the wiser? They do what any identical twins in need of new outlooks would do. They swap lives until Christmas Day. And by doing so, each woman discovers the true meaning of her life and gains a deeper perspective and appreciation for what she already had. See, that's what I thought Todd's was going to do. It's going to be a twin switching. Well, no, just a deeper appreciation. Oh. They switch back. The son's grateful to his father. Not, not the, the tragic end. No, which it's a stronger. What Todd did is a stronger choice, I think. Yes. Um, however. If Rankin Bass were to come back, this is what I, I Joseph's pitch is what I would want them to make. Boom! Because Insurmountable lead. <laughs> I feel like all Joe has to say is Rankin Bass, I, I, and then I don't know he about wins. That. I feel like he's won every time that he's done that, but <laughs> I, maybe not. We'll have to go back and he listen. he did a Rankin Bass. Oh, I think before, I always but... go into the Rankin Bass well. There's always going to be a hallmark. You do. There's always going to be a Rankin Bass. Yes, yeah. but also like the the collection of tricksters. Just seems so perfect. <laughs> Just hanging out on an island called yeah. Trickster Island. I now I I would, however, say I think the title of that should be "Tricked for Christmas." 
but Touché. you Touché. you were working with I'll, I'll allow you that. were working with something. <laughs> All so right, I'm gonna say that is a victory for Joseph in round one. All uh, right, I'm gonna take for the second round engaging Father Christmas. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> My version, just so you can get the tone in your head right away, it's going to be filmed in black and white. It's going to be a fast-talking screwball comedy. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, Is so it set in any particular era we should be There's aware? a 1940s aesthetic happening. Okay. So think, period. It happened one night, bring up baby. Mm-hmm. So okay. really, that doesn't matter because, as you'll see, Adam Scott plays the absent-minded, most generous gift giver in the world. Just... So everyone's clear. Uh, star of Parks and Rec. Yes. And also a recent Christmas film, Krampus. <laughs> I didn't, didn't know he that. Starred didn't in, know he, was in that that he starred in Krampus. He's currently wow. on Ghosted on Fox, I believe. All right. Kristen Bell is Elfin Ben Dent, the bored socialite daughter of the Tooth Fairy. In this black and white fast talk and screwball comedy, we're about to enter the world of dating in the magical realm. Set in a town with a 1940s aesthetic, it's December 22nd, and Chris Kringle spent the day stopping in to visit some of his friends. At his final stop, visiting the Tooth Fairy, he realizes he has lost his list. You know, the list. Elfman offers to help him retrace his steps. But she's more interested in Chris Kringle than his list. You know, the list. Kringle knows he saw Jack Frost and his wife, Susie Snowflake. He saw Cupid. He saw the Leprechauns and a few others. But he can't quite remember whom else he visited, nor in what order. He's very absent-minded. A madcap adventure ensues that sees Elfenben and Chris try to retrace his steps, but encountering absurd obstacles, including one stubborn reindeer who wants a chance to be on Santa's team and won't take no for an answer, one flirtatious talking snowman who is very interested in Elfenben, and a farcical conclusion that sees Chris and Elfenben following a lengthy bit of of paper that is blowing through a candy cane factory up a chocolate waterfall and into an abominable snow monster's den. Will Chris Kringle get his list? You know, the list. And will uh, Elf and Ben get her mad? Okay. I feel like I've got a chance. All right. All right. But I'm telling you, this is not the silliest of my... Uh... <laughs> is it? Is it sillier than your last one? <laughs> I think you can clear that bar. Yeah, the, the silliness hurdle is Only fairly low slightly. for you at the moment. Only slightly. (laughs) Father Christmas lives a lonely life, but he won't let anyone know it. Ever since that darn Clement Clark Moore wrote, Twas the Night Before Christmas, nobody has paid any attention attention to him. Now it's all about Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus. It's not that the Clauses are bad people. It's just that Father Christmas gets lonely. And recently, he's just seemed more distant than usual. One night, as they're settling down for bed with their hundreds of baby Easter bunnies, Mr. and Mrs. Easter Bunny get to talking about Father Christmas's loneliness, and they decide to do something about it. So they call their friends Santa and Mrs. Claus and the Tooth Fairy and the Ratoncito Perez, who everyone knows have been together for ages, to try to find a way to engage Father Christmas by, well, getting Father Christmas engaged. Soon, the well-meaning friends are throwing party after party in hopes that Father Christmas will finally come to his senses and find someone to love. But Father Christmas wants none of this, so he decides to get away to the forest, where he runs into his old friend Mother Nature. It turns out that in their younger years they'd been a pretty hot item, but they had each left each other as they focused on their careers. Now, in the twilight of their lives, together they find happiness and romance, as he helps her encourage humans to care about the environment, and she helps him keep the true Christmas spirit alive. The end. We both went uh, pretty far afield of the traditional <laughs> Christmas characters for our uh, for our synopses. There. Yes, we did. <laughs> Let's see what the actual movie does. All right. 
Uh, is this a Hallmark movie? Uh, Hallmark movies and mysteries channel. Oh, and my understanding, or at least I have been given to understand that this is a sequel. Okay. Okay. Miranda is flying back to Vermont from her home in Seattle to reconnect with her family over the holidays and to see Ian, a local handyman she fell in love with on her last trip to the Green Mountain State. I assume that was in the first movie. Right. But when changing planes in Boston, Miranda runs into old boyfriend Josh, who chases her to Vermont, where Miranda <laughs> learns of an old family secret <laughs> that could destroy her family. Oh, no. And Miranda keep her family and her love for Ian together and intact. Or will she forever lose her chance at beautiful win- at a beautiful winter wedding? Now I just want to know what the family secret is. <laughs> yeah. You just have to watch. So mysterious. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the, the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel at Christmas time is exclusively movie and mystery focused. Right. But maybe they uh-huh. they skew a little bit that way. This is. This is tough because Joseph definitely has a strength of cast that he's identified <laughs> um, by naming any actors. <laughs> I don't do for most of my summaries. Just this one. A, a, a strength of cast that. Exceeds Todd's by infinite amounts in this case. Gosh. Are we really going to say that uh, I'm going to lose this because I didn't say the no, names I of some actors? No, I was going to say, despite that, despite that, I'm going with Todd's pitch. Right. Uh, mostly because I was struck by the, the simplicity of using Mother Nature with Father Christmas. Well, and also separating that, Father that was, Christmas from Santa Claus. I, nice, I, I thought that was nice a nice spin. touch as I appreciated well, so. that, Todd. All right, well, thank you. So that is a, a win for Todd. Um, okay. So they, uh, the, the team that chooses the title is lost every round. <laughs> so you're up, Todd. All right. <laughs> I love you Great. Um, okay. Uh, I'm. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, this this Let film me, is. Let me give you <laughs> Which one's coming All next? Right. <clears throat> this film is called A Very Merry Mix-Up. A Very Merry Mix-Up. Mary is straight-laced. She wakes up in the morning, she goes to work, she comes home. Her consistency and diligence in the workplace, someday, uh, she hopes her consistency and diligence in the workplace will someday land her a position as chief accountant at Walsh beating Sanders Ord, Sanders and Walsh's uh, accountancy firm. But for now, she's just a freelance accountant for hire, keeping the books for small business owners who don't know how to do so themselves. Then one day, while looking over her work, she notices a slight error in her calculations. She tries to call her client to let him know about the issue, but the man never answers. Frustrated, Mary jumps in her car and drives to the business. And then she realizes it's Christmas Eve. And this client is, uh, hasn't answered the phone because he's busy running his tamal shop. So he's a Mexican man, and he's running a tamal shop, selling tamales to, to people for Christmas. And, uh, and he has to deliver hundreds of them. And this tamal shop is just, it's just a beehive of, uh, sweet Hispanic family activity going on. And when, uh, when Mary arrives, Jose, uh, who's the, the shop owner, he just assumes that she's, uh, one of the, like, friends of his family or something. And he immediately puts her to work. And, uh, the mild mannered and frazzled Mary gets caught up in the madness of this uh, crazy Mexican Christmas and ends up spending the whole day with Jose and his kin in the merriest Christmas ever. I like it. I, I love uh, a good tamal at Christmas time. Oh, oh yes. So good. All right. 
My very merry mix-up. I was thinking more uh, ABC Family or, or Freeform, I guess is what it's okay. called now. With their 25 days of Christmas, don't they do something like that? Uh, yes, they not only do that, but they have a 18 day <laughs> they have a countdown, countdown to the countdown to for the Christmas. 20, yeah, they have. They starting on November 18th. There's a countdown to the 25 days of Christmas. Yeah, that feels like they're bending the rules of reality. A little. <laughs> <laughs> they, they can just upgrade it to like a 48 days of Christmas. Yes, no. All right, <clears throat> it's the holiday season, and again, I just want to remind you that this one is called a very merry mix-up. It's the holiday season, and in order to stave off loneliness for any single citizens, the city of Mix, Louisiana, is hosting a singles mixer at the Mix Community Center. In a sort of blend of speed dating and casual flirting, everyone who goes into the party is given a name tag and a number, and after they mix and mingle, they can submit the numbers of anyone they're interested in to the organizers. Those who express mutual interest will be given a location and a time they can go meet up again for a follow-up date. The event is a hit with more than 100 lonely, desperate souls arriving. Among the guests at this little soiree are number 16, Criss Cross, who has worked for several years operating a cement mixer. Number 81 is Alicia Alloy, a noted mixologist who is famous for her cocktails. Sorry, was that 18 and 81? Yeah, just wait for it. <laughs> no, that was 16 and 81, oh, but wait for it. Sorry. Don't get ahead of me. Don't, don't get ahead of me, Andrew. <laughs> You're jumping the gun on the plot twist. <clears throat> We're also following uh, number 91, Frank Fuser, who has sold more KitchenAid mixers than any other Seals, Sears salesman in the southeast region of the United States. And finally, there's number 18, Anna Amalgam, who, as an audio editor for a local recording studio, has been mixing individual tracks into cohesive songs for a decade. They each enter the party a bit trepidatious and embarrassed that it's uh, that they've turned to a singles party to try and find a good date. But after some truly awkward attempts at flirting, Chris and Alicia enjoy a self-deprecating conversation enough that they're both willing to try a more formal date and each jot down the other's number. Similarly, while it's not love at first sight, Frank and Anna have a better conversation with each other than with anyone else and each writes the other's number down on their cards before turning them into the organizers. The organizers promise to call each participant with matching numbers. All four of the people we've been following talk with their friends at work about the nice person they met, and they hope they get a call, which they do. However, the organizers made a crucial mistake. They gave each participant a card with their number on one side and instructions to turn it over and write the number of anyone they're interested in on the other. However, on the blank side, there's no obvious clue to denote orientation. A 16 <laughs> could look like a 91. An 81 could become an 18. A 91 could become a 16. An 18 could become an 81. Despite their best efforts at interpreting the numbers, a mix-up happens, and Frank and Alicia are sent to the same place, as are Anna and Chris to their own separate same place where they meet up each new couple is at first confused at the stranger they've met because they didn't actually meet at the mixer uh but in the end these are better matches than the ones they thought they had made at the mix community center could you have referred to uh some of the organizers as the mix masters no yes no he yes. could not have yes <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, we're not we're not dealing with puns in this story. This is a serious effort at a Christmas heartwarming tale. See, I thought I was doing good uh, by calling by calling my protagonist Mary in a very merry mix-up, but my goodness. Um okay. You the didn't take it to the actual... next level, you took it like twenty-five levels. <laughs> I, okay. We don't have time to get into the process of each one of these. That was an accidental like at first I was like, I wonder if there's a good pun for mix i could put into a last name and then it just it kept happening <laughs> and then once i had names i had to do i couldn't help yourself there really is a city called mixed louisiana i looked that oh, up nice um that was funny but okay, like so, which of these stories would you which of these movies would you actually want to see 
I still have to. Oh, we haven't read the, we haven't read the, the, the real one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 Real okay. one. Yeah, but not uh, also, which of ours could appear on the Hallmark Channel? Uh, I mean, this real one uh, on IMDb, there were two plot synopses uh, presented. So I will read both of them because they're relatively short. Hopefully they both seem like they're from the same movie. <laughs> Shop owner Alice Chapman is nervous about meeting her future in-laws at Christmas, especially because she is arriving ahead of her new fiance, Will Mitchum. Alice's trip becomes more stressful when her luggage is lost and her phone is damaged, leaving her no way to find Will's family. That is the end of the first synopsis. Okay. <laughs> synopsis two. Alice Chapman is a beautiful woman who recently became engaged to go-getter bu- businessman Will Mitchum. When she travels to meet her future in-laws for the first time before Christmas, chaos ensues as she loses contact with Will, runs into who she believes to be Will's brother, and starts the holiday celebrations with the wrong family. But is this just a silly mix-up, or is it fate for Alice? Oh, dun, 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 dun. Dun. Uh, they do sound like they could be the same film. Uh, one of them just dropped off about halfway yes. through. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I was writing that synopsis. You said, no, this is enough. Okay. Todd, remind me yours. So it's a, uh, it's Mary, the accountant tamales. who, oh, the tamales. who because of a mix up ends up spending Christmas with a beautiful, crazy Mexican family making tamales. This one is going to Joseph for the sheer commitment. <laughs> the, the, blind commitment <laughs> to what he was going for. One might even say foolish commitment. <laughs> Leaning into the pun of the word mix in the title. Yes. Uh, Is that see I thought we were rewarding points but for it was based enjoyable on that you the movie that you would want to see, not commitment. But okay. <laughs> well, if you're gonna change I, the rules in the middle. I mean I I was very pleased by his ability to find four different professions <laughs> that were heavily influenced by the term mix. Okay. All right. All right, I'm going to go uh, for our next title, listeners. We're going to be pitching Christmas and Angel Falls. Okay. Am I first on yep. this one? Is that where yep. we're at, right? Yep. Okay. This, for me, it's a half-hour animated special. Uh, at night at the local department store, once all the customers and workers are gone, everything comes alive. A week before Thanksgiving, the Christmas tree ornaments begin eagerly talking among themselves about what houses they might get taken to for the holidays. They can't wait to discover what eager kids will hang them on trees or what warm mantles they'll be set next to with glowing fires lighting the room. Then the rumors and warnings about Mrs. Kader, the cat woman who has to buy many replacement ornaments, tinsel and tree toppers every year, start to spread. Her cats, Marley and Scrooge, (laughs) attack her tree annually, knocking her festive decorations to the floor. But she loves her cats so much that she just replaces the broken ornaments rather than scold her cats. Some ornaments call the house Angel Falls because her beloved angel tree toppers get broken every single year. Well, when Mrs. Kader comes in, whispers of, that's her, run through the decorations aisle, and every ornament tries to look a little less special. She grabs two dozen glass ball ornaments, a long string of tinsel, and one beautiful tree topper angel. She takes them home and sets up her tree, and what follows is a nightly game of cat and mouse, or in this case, cat and angel, as this angel refuses to join the ranks of her fallen predecessors. The cats come at the tree, and the angel jumps down to the mantle. The cats pursue her, and she throws objects in their path. The cats try to set traps for her, and she escapes them every single night. In the morning, Mrs. Kader just tuts at her cats for making a mess and then admires her tree. After Christmas, Mrs. Kader puts her decorations away and her angel contentedly closes its eyes when it is back safe in its packaging, sure to be atop the year, uh, the tree one more year. I did not go in that direction. <laughs> Todd, we have not been in alignment on any direction yet. <laughs> 
It's December in Angel Falls, a settlement of highly social capybaras living in the, uh, at the base of, you guessed it, the Angel Falls in the remote jungles of Venezuela. Now, for those of you who don't know, a capybara is the largest rodent on Earth. It's roughly the size of the ROUSs in The Princess Bride, uh, and it's highly, highly social. Seriously, go check out the internet, and you can find capybaras snuggling with dogs, cats, turtles, monkeys, even crocodiles. Christmas in Angel Falls is the... They're, they're pretty cute. They are super cute. They really, <laughs> they really are. And this is a uh, just uh, for, uh, this is an animated. Um, it's an animated story. Uh, it's kind of in, well, we both went animated for this yeah, one, kind of in the line of um, of like clearly get some different tones. the book of life, except that not everything looks like a puppet. Uh, so Christmas in Angel Falls right. is the story of Benny, a particularly social capybara, and his friends Noelia, a cute female, and Enrique, his best friend since childhood. One day, a week before Christmas, when the capybaras are all getting ready to be super cute for the inevitable tourist Christmas ramp up, a jaguar attacks the village, scattering all of the different animals. In the ensuing chaos, Benny's friend Pepe, a monkey, is seriously injured. And now it's up to the brave Benny and his fearless friends uh, Noelia, uh, Mario, uh, a hyperactive three-toed sloth, and Sophia, an aggressive poison dart frog who Benny and Noelia convinced to serve as their bodyguard, as they brave predators, bad weather, and physical obstacles as they try to get uh, in, uh, Pepe back to his family, who live at the top of the falls, just in time for Christmas. I gotta say, I think the world's ready for a capybara animated special, Todd. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. I, I, I suspect I mean, the poison dart frog bodyguard is going to be a fan favorite. <laughs> I think so. Let's hear what uh, the actual. I like the hyperactive three-toed yeah, sloth. I, I did enjoy that um, <laughs> that that descriptor. Yes, but let's see what the actual uh, Christmas in Angel Falls is. Yes, is this another Hallmark? Uh, another Hallmark movies and mysteries. Okay, Angel Gabriel or Gabrielle, because it's a female, so Gabby. I don't mm. know. Okay, gets a special assignment and is dispatched to the town of Angel Falls. The town has lost its Christmas spirit, and Gabby is charged with the task of helping the residents recapture it. Along the way, she befriends Jack Avery, of the volunteer fire chief, who is initially skeptical about her plan to revive the local Yuletide cheer. Determined, Gabby takes a job at the local church as a volunteer coordinator and sets about her business of recruiting residents to get the town's holiday back on track. In the process of bringing back beloved Angel Falls Christmas traditions, Gabby has a surprising revelation about herself and her own dreams that set her down an unexpected path. Now, it's not clear from this actual Hallmark-produced text. Gabby is an angel along the lines of It's a Wonderful Life. Seems like. That's what I that's what sure. I had to understand yeah. from another synopsis yeah. elsewhere. <laughs> okay, an angel has been sent to Angel Falls. To fix their Christmas spirit. she falls in love and she's just not to return to angel duties. Just settles into some mortal life. Do you think she falls in love with, with Jack, the volunteer fire chief? Was that the only named male? Yeah, that's the, only, the only other then name him, in yes. the entire film. Then yes. <laughs> uh, and, and based on some promotional images, I would not be surprised if there's some romance here. Yeah, well, the fact that it's a hallmark mm -hmm. <laughs> makes me think there could be some romance. <laughs> I'm very intrigued by this fire chief who is skeptical of her trying to bring back Christmas cheer. <laughs> like, nah, something's up. Um, what's your angle <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really excited for Todd's idea yeah yeah the capybara like, one, like that, one that, that has an abundant charm yes and and, right. and, and supporting cast there alright well that keeps up our streak of despite the fact that I may have changed the names of <laughs> <laughs> like, don't go back and listen to that synopsis because 
there may be wild inconsistencies in the names of some of those characters. But whoever uh, picks the title <laughs> loses. That is our streak. Now we're four I, for four on that. I, I dare you, Joseph, to pick the one you are oh, most no, confident in. No, it's Todd's turn. <laughs> on your next opportunity. Oh, it's my turn? Oh, dang it. Oh. All right. I feel like I've done all of my... Well, I don't know. I don't even want to say anything. Okay, I'm going for the the perfect Christmas present. Oh, that was that was the hardest one for me. Um, well, <laughs> it's gonna be might be a race to the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It is December 23rd, and the socially awkward Alistair Gotthilf is doing his best to survive his work Christmas party. People are drinking and laughing and having a good time, but the gangly Alistair, Alistair just feels uncomfortable. Generic Christmas music is playing in the background, and then Alistair hears the song, I Just Go Nuts at Christmas, and he realizes the song is a perfect description of himself, especially the part that says, and this is, I mean, are you familiar with this song, I Just Go Nuts? No. No? So uh, there's a part in the song that says, uh, I look at nightgowns for my wife, those black ones trimmed in red, but I don't know her size, and so she'll get a carpet sweeper instead. Alistair <laughs> knew at that very moment there was a top-of-the-line carpet sweeper sitting under his Christmas tree that he had ordered an- on Amazon. Alistair then decides he can do better, but he has literally never bought a gift from an actual store. And with just one day until Christmas, he embarks on a madcap Mr. Bean-type adventure across New York City to find the perfect Christmas present for his wife. In the end, however, the empty-handed Alistair will return uh, home and learn that the perfect Christmas gift is found in a peaceful moment, curled up by a fire, being close to the woman he loves. All right. I like that, Todd. Uh, This was the last one I was able to write. I had been muttering the name, (laughs) the perfect Christmas present to myself. For so long, <laughs> I eventually just left. And when I get writer's block, I go take a shower. I got in the shower and the idea I, idea came. And this was about 20 minutes before we started recording. <laughs> I got the idea. It sounds to me, Joseph, like the perfect Christmas present for you would be some shower notes. Yes. Yes. Get the man some shower notes. <laughs> and, and, a notepad uh, that works in the shower. Yes. Uh, remind me after I tell you what I wrote to mention my false start. <laughs> on this one. You know, speaking uh, of shower one, notes, I have shower notes in my office right now, or in my in my shower, but I don't have a pencil. My <laughs> pe- pencil is shower notes right now. All right, I, I'm envisioning this one as a radio show, like unto Vinyl Cafe, which we discussed, I believe, last week for our listeners. Um, and I, okay, uh, well, I'll just get in. It's in the late 1950s, and a father is telling his son about one of his best Christmas memories. You see. Back when he was a, uh, a little boy in the late 1930s, it was just him and his mom, and things were more than a little rough in the financial department. Uh, and somehow in my rush to write this, I've shifted into first person from here on out. We're just going to run with that. <laughs> so now I am the father in this story. <laughs> 1950s era father. Uh, we didn't have much in the way of clothes, and we both worked hard every day <laughs> to have enough to eat. I was only seven or eight, but my mom and I worked together to survive. Don't know what happened in the writing that some of you <laughs> It got to be around Christmas time, and we were staying in the back room of a factory for our home. My mom never told me how, but she got her hands on a nickel, which was certainly worth more in those days, but actually wasn't worth much. Anyway, after I fell asleep on Christmas Eve, she slipped out and wandered around looking for something she could spin her nickel on for me, even though if I'd known that was what she was doing, I'd have told her to, to save it. I don't know how many places she looked at, but the way she told me, it was not a very successful outing. Eventually, she found a newsstand that was open, and the man told her, 
All right. And she told the man that she was looking for something for her son, but only had a nickel. He told her that Superman was awfully popular, but the ones, uh, but the new ones all cost a dime. He said, it's Christmas Eve. Hold on. I might have an old one I can give you for a nickel. He dug around and handed my mom a comic book. She brought it home, wrapped it, and in the morning she gave it to me. Now, you know, we didn't have much, and that meant we took care of what we did have. I read that comic book dozens of times, but never bent it or folded it. It was special, not because it was a Superman comic book, but because of how my mom got it for me. It's not in perfect condition, but I still have it because I loved it. And I always put it away carefully. So when you're a bit older, I'll give you my copy of Action Comics number one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is the perfect Christmas gift. <laughs> Worth um, the most recent one up for sale is sold for three million plus. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, there's like there's like 10 known copies in existence. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <that's... laughs> huh, that is something. Okay. Uh, another Hallmark Movies and Mysteries. <laughs> oh, you really went to the Hallmark well for yeah. these, these titles this year. Uh, a lot of these are new this year. Okay. I, I think more than any other year, I, I got fresh crop. Now, how many new Hallmark movies are produced a year for Christmas? Uh, I think this year it was between 12 and 18. Okay, and that's what... This year, as I was writing these, I started to tell myself, I can't keep doing this every year. <laughs> like, the well's going to run dry. And then I told myself, if no. Hallmark can make dozens of new Christmas movies every year. I could write one more plot synopsis. <laughs> yes, I think that's fair. Tom is Mr. Christmas. Formerly, the title of this film was Mr. Christmas. Then they changed it to The Perfect Christmas Present. Tom is Mr. Christmas, the guy who can find the perfect gift for that special someone. But when he agrees to help an old college buddy discover his girlfriend's Christmas wish, he ends up getting too close and she ends up falling in love with him. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> Oh, I need, to go Christmas present. I need to go back. Well, okay. The perfect Christmas present is not stealing your buddy's girlfriend. Yeah, I was going to put that, that on the table. I have a feeling that somebody <laughs> got the perfect Christmas present out of this. And I think it's funny. Uh, I, I really need to go back to the, the Hallmark plot well for some of my synopses. Yeah. So that was uh, that was Mr. Christmas, which I am actually kind of intrigued in, in seeing this one because I want to see how they handle the relationship with his college buddy. Yeah. Um. In fact, Mr. Bean, Mr. Bean <laughs> running around New York City trying to find his 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 uh his wife a present. I'm I'm, I'm going to go with the Hallmark one on this one. Oh, oh, I, a loss for both of us, Todd. Yeah, wow. it's your first, your first mutual loss of the night. First had, win for Hallmark. I had Action Comics number one. I know. <laughs> that was, okay. That was kind of rough. I will just say my false start. It included the line. Uh. I know I'm going to make a very bad widower. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I decided to change, change directions on that one. That's a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah, because okay. that would have been really dark. And we, we yeah. don't want anything like dark no, or sad or no, something no, serious. No, no. Okay, uh, who, Joseph, your, your pick. All right. Hey, and we broke the trend. For once, the person <laughs> picking it. Right, not I'm going to go with my longest one. This is the first one I wrote. No, it's the second one I wrote. And it got away from me in terms of length. <laughs> But I, I couldn't trim anything back. This one is called Twas the Night. And I'm seeing this as a stop motion in the style of Nightmare Before Christmas. 
The Dream Lord is an ancient mystical being. He has lived for centuries and likely has a few centuries more to live. Once a year or so, he is visited by his only acquaintance, Santa Claus, another ancient mythical being. When Santa visits, he always brings light and vibrant colors into the Dream Lord's realm, which is typically a world of black and white overwhelmed by shadows. This story takes place across those centuries as Santa visits an increasingly gloomy Dream Lord. They have philosophical discussions where Dream Lord, Dream Lord chastises Santa for being so happy when there's so much evil in the world. Santa counters that the Dream Lord has become so focused on evil that he can't see the good. They have variations of this debate as we see each growing older, though the aging is much more obvious in the Dream Lord. Santa insists people are primarily good and should be rewarded, and Dream Lord says they're evil and need to be punished. The Dream Lord's realm, where these visits take place, is a barren, rocky, cave-like place with only a bed, a massive drawing table, where Dream Lord designs the stuff of nightmares, and a table where he chats with Santa. Dream Lord has watched humanity for so long, he is worn down and disgusted by the hypocrisy he sees. He loathes seeing the guilty go free and the innocent suffer, so he spends his days inventing new monsters, called Dream Spawn, which he sends into the sleep of the guilty. We see him working at his massive art table, where he sketches out designs for monsters on paper, and magically conjures 3D images of monsters, which he spins in the air to consider from every angle. We see really? One ghastly design away, <laughs> muttering that it's not scary enough. Wait, Todd, <laughs> he keeps going. <laughs> he may- uh, we see the Dreamlord design the Anguished Mask, a demon that attaches to a person's face and makes them relive their worst behavior from other people's points of view. And a two-faced truth Whoa. tag, which will threaten people who lie with one face but tempt them to lie with the other and punish them no matter what they do. While Dreamlord doesn't take joy in slipping these monsters into people's nightmares, he does find some measure of satisfaction. One year, Santa Claus comes with his usual, usual merriment and tries to improve Dreamlord's mood. Santa notices that the Dreamlord lo- looks sunken in upon himself. His eyes are more deeply set in his face. The lines of worry and care are high in number and more notable and his generally gaunt frame has become completely angular. Santa asks if Dreamlord is well and Dreamlord says that his time is coming to a close. A new Dreamlord is growing and will soon hatch. He gestures to an orb with a constantly shifting inkblot pattern shimmering across its surface. Dreamlord notes that he is older than Santa so this will be the first time Santa meets a new Dreamlord and he asks Santa to help his replacement find his place in the world. Dreamlord explains that his kind will live for centuries with only one role to create the dreams of humans. When one dream Lord is about to die, a new one is created and the existing dream Lord will only have one night to teach the new young dream Lord their role. And then this dream Lord that Santa has known for so long will disappear into nothingness. Santa promises to continue visiting the new dream Lord coming as soon as possible after it hatches to prepare to teach his replacement how to visit nightmares on the guilty. The dream Lord prepares his most terrifying monster of his long life. We see the dream Lord pouring his creative energies into this, even as he is physically wasting away. The orb begins to pulse with brighter and brighter light and energy as dream Lord furiously rushes to finish his final nightmare. As he is adding a hint of purple glow into the monster's eyes, he hears a young girl's voice call Papa. He turns and sees a toddler girl walking out from the egg. He takes one look at her and sees pure innocence and something breaks inside of him. He becomes so blinded by his anger and rage at guilty humans that he'd literally been unable to see purity and goodness until it stood in front of him in the form of this child. My child, he says, there's very little time and I must teach you what it is that you must do. He kneels down in front of her and conjures up a hopping bunny for her to see. She coos and giggles as the bunny nuzzles her nose. Dream Lord waves his hand behind his back and the tentacled ash dragon that he had been designing disappears from the table and is replaced by an array of wonderful creatures. A playful, bubbling giggler, a shy joy sprite, a rolling, rumbly fractal face, and many more. Dream Lord says, I only have one night to teach you and tonight Christmas Eve is the best night possible. We are Dream Lords. We can shape the dreams of sleeping humans. Every night we find the innocent who have been wronged, the good people who have too little, the forgotten who need love, and we give it to them in their dreams. We can't give them these things for real, but we can let them feel happiness while they sleep. I have a friend who can give real gifts, but his powers are limited to one night a year. Yours will work every night. And after I teach you what I can tonight, he will help you to understand the best ways to use your special gifts. As the Dream Lord takes the girl's hand, they float up out of the chamber, which looks brighter than it ever has before. 
Um, <laughs> that's Todd, astounding. You... <laughs> Todd? <laughs> Are we wow. playing the same game? <laughs> I fell into a good groove with that one, guys. Wow. Like, and it spilled out as I was writing. Now, Joseph, are you sure you want me to leave that in, or do you want to pitch that to someone else on a more special occasion? <laughs> hey, if anyone hears this and wants to do something with the story of the Dream Lord at Christmas, uh, we can talk. We can talk wow. about the Dream Lord at Christmas. Okay. Uh, there's there's no way to to follow that. Um, <laughs> so I'll just I'll just read what I've got here. <laughs> I'm feeling uh, okay about my chances from looking at Andrew's <laughs> reaction. Uh, yeah. Um, well, you should. <laughs> Twas the Night is a Shakespeare in Love type romantic period comedy drama or rompy com drum. <laughs> <laughs> a period rompy com drum. No, that's what the, the oh, that, that's, that's the, what the P. Oh, right, right. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it's a romp. Romantic right. period comedy drama, rompy com drama. There we go. There it is. That now tells the story of how the poet Clement Clark Moore gained inspiration to write the poem A Visit from St. Nicholas, or as is it better known in modern times, Twas the Night Before Christmas. As is always the case in this type of film, the filmmakers feel absolutely no need to limit themselves to historic, historical accuracy. But they tell instead a heartwarming story about how the down-on-his-luck Moore falls in love with Alice, a beautiful but cynical young woman who, like most of the people living in the United States in the early 1800s, has basically given up on celebrating Christmas. Will Moore's bright-eyed enthusiasm for the season be enough to convince Alice and the rest of the world that Christmas is worth celebrating? Will the magic of his pen be enough to cause visions of sugar plums to dance in Alice's wee little head? With the help of his best friend Edgar Allan Poe, will Moore be able to overcome his rival Henry Livingston Jr., who hopes to steal not only the poem, but also Alice's love. Any Poe reference is a winning uh, yeah, reference in my book. I know. Well, see, that's what I thought, but <laughs> I, I had no idea what I was going up against. I mean, like, why even bother? <laughs> um, uh, so the actual uh, synopsis that I was able to find on IMDb for Twas the Night, which is a Disney Channel original movie from 2001. Okay. By the way, starring none other than future superstar, Brian Cranston. What? <laughs> Is it directed by Kenny Ortega by chance? I don't think so. Oh, too bad. <laughs> a troubled and irresponsible uncle, Brian Cranston, was hacked by some group of criminals who are looking for a bank account code to the uncle's boss. The criminals manage to find his apartment and start beating him. Uh, and start beating him. They decide to starve him to death by having their biggest member... <laughs> I don't remember these particular elements of, of the film, but they decide to starve him die, but to death by having the biggest member of the three guarding the entrance of his building. The uncle manages to escape from the window, but gets caught. He runs to a north. So not really caught. He gets caught. seen. Yeah. He runs to a North Pole stage where kids meet Santa Claus. He steals the costume from Santa Claus. I remember this scene. It happens in, in like a mall bathroom. He sees that Santa is in the stall. Yeah, I've seen this movie a number wow. of times. He sees that Santa's in the stall, and he just and he and he, and he pulls the boots and pants from him and grabs the coat from over the top of the stall. Brian Cranston, everybody! Wow, preparation for yeah. Breaking Bad. Yeah, uh, he steals the costume for Santa and walks to the bus stop in disguise and goes to his brother's house. Meanwhile, his his nephew a mischievous 14-year-old 
welcomes him because he has a better relationship with him than any other person in his huge family. His family is not huge, just like five people. <laughs> On Christmas Eve, Santa comes to the house with a device. As it's written here, it says, with advice, <laughs> but with a device that can freeze time in order to put the family's Christmas presents under the tree. The device also shrinks the presents and, and lets them grow back to full size. So this is taking so many turns. Uh, so he can leave the presents under the tree unnoticed. An object hits the device and time goes back to normal. The uncle hits Santa and knocks him unconscious. Oh my gosh, this is and the strangest kid, story. And the kid and his uncle steal Santa's sleigh to have a crazy ride to practically destroy Christmas. They, they leave, they freeze time, and they steal stuff from rich people's homes. What? The uncle is a crook. What? So he steals Does stuff. Does he learn a lesson at any point in the story? Uh, his nephew realizes what he's done, and he makes all the stuff grow back to the full size, and then he goes back home. I, I don't remember, but it, like this magic device freezes time and shrinks presents. Okay, I... It, what in the world? Is it over? <laughs> Brian Cranston. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, I don't remember. I think, he, I think he learns a lesson, and he goes back to the house and, and does well, but like... It's a weird story. <laughs> that is a weird story. Um, I, I feel it's okay to say, obviously, Joseph has won this round. I appreciate it. I don't think obvious was necessary, but I appreciate <laughs> Appreciate the win. I'll take that I point. Mean, that's it. I'm, so I it feel like three... in the future, we probably do need to set a word limit or something. Because <laughs> that would definitely go away like, from me. That was like taking a, a bazooka story. to a knife fight, really. <laughs> like... <laughs> will overwhelm you. <laughs> With description. The uh, ideas kept coming. I couldn't stop them, guys. I uh, did not need to uh, reach for it, but I did eye a box of tissues on the other side of the room. Yeah. As, as, especially as like a new father, like with <laughs> oh, the baby girl. Oh, yeah. You're like, hit with that one. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, um, <clears throat> okay. I uh, thought I really I, had something with my rompy com drum. It was strong. I do want to say. In my head, every time I got to the part where the uh, the girl says "Papa," it's Eleven from Stranger Things saying "Papa." Oh, ah. oh wow! Okay, okay. Um, who's, who's pick? I think it's my uh, pick. That's what is that? Six out of seven. So, so I think we have eight. I think we, we do have eight. Go. There's two more. All right, I'm just gonna do um, "With Love, Christmas." So okay, so "With Love, Comma Christmas," as though signing off a letter, as though Christmas has sent love to someone yeah so this is um this is like a, it's a short tv like a video essay so if you think like um you know college game day when they do those video essays yeah. kind of things mm -hmm. at the beginning it's one of those okay so not long espn college game day for any listeners who don't follow sports yes so as the world is in chaos and kindness and good cheer seem to be going the way of the dodo what the world really needs is a reminder of why Christmas matters. And who better to give that reminder than Christmas itself, voiced by Morgan Freeman. In a beautiful video essay on the magic and wonder of this time of year, uh, it's a short film, simple in form, but featuring lavish footage of Christmas celebrations from across the world. It begins, Dear World, I have noticed that things haven't been so great for you lately. It goes on to mention some of the tough things that have happened recently from natural disasters to political uncertainty and rumors of war. But then it reminds us that at least for a month, there is hope. We can come together as a people. We can be better. We can do better. We can reach out a hand to a soul who needs it. We can light a candle in our home and in our heart and share that warmth and light in the cool and dark corner, in the cold and dark corners of the world. We can remember that this season is all of, what this season is all about. And of course, it ends with the words, with love, Christmas. I've got to go up against Morgan Freeman's narrative. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's, talk about bringing a bazooka to a knife fight. <laughs> All right, this is my. I'm sure you'll muster only, up something. This is my only pure Hallmark one, where I was just like, "What would Hallmark do with the title with Love Christmas?" Sarah Striver is the busy producer of Sunny Side Up, a morning television show in New York, and she hates Christmas. Or more more accurately, she believes Christmas hates her. She has the worst luck at the holidays: lost jobs, bad travel, never finding the right gift for people, and worst of all, it distracts everyone away from work. You see, Sarah loves work, and the holidays are one big end-of-the-year wrench in a daily television show's production schedule. Fortunately, by barely acknowledging Thanksgiving and completely ignoring Christmas, Sarah can throw herself into work and become the glue that holds the show together. As she's fond of telling her co-workers, I hate Christmas, and Christmas hates me. Thus, while everyone is happily distracted by the holidays, Sarah is willingly harried by taking on everything to keep the show running. The week of Thanksgiving, she's surprised that her former boyfriend, Timothy, from her high school back home in a small Midwestern town in the heart of America, is a guest on the show. He explains that he wrote a book, but his publisher changed his last name so that it starts with A, so it'll be sorted to the front of books of his genre at the bookstore. Uh, she jokes that they must be the only two who have escaped from their tiny town. And he says, well, Susan's a medical doctor in Chicago, and Jose got his PhD and teaches at Florida State. Uh, right then, Lucas, one of the anchors of the show, passes by and says he hopes Sarah has a happy Thanksgiving. And she says, Thanksgiving is finish and bearable, but I hate Christmas and Christmas hates me. On December 1st, she finds a small Christmas tree on her desk with a note that says, I don't hate you, signed Christmas. She laughs, <laughs> for a moment and sets the tree aside. The next day, there's a poinsettia with a note. No, really, I think we could be friends. And the note is also signed Christmas. This continues and Sarah finds herself softening to the holidays, even leaving the decorations on her work desk, which traditionally had been a Christmas free zone. Her old boyfriend asks her out, saying that he's still in town for a few days and she suspects that he is the one leaving the notes from Christmas on her desk. On the date, Sarah complains a bit about growing up in a small town and Timothy gently chides her, pointing out that their town is pretty special. Tim leaves uh, shortly after that, uh, but the gifts from Christmas keep appearing on Sarah's desk. Confused on how this can be happening, Sarah still finds herself warming to the Christmas spirit just a little. Convinced that Tim must have left the gifts with someone in New York, Sarah calls him to ask if he's Christmas, and he doesn't understand the question. He is very bemused and confused. Uh, he has no idea what she's talking about. So Tim is not her mysterious Christmas. Lucas stops by her desk and compliments her on how festive it looks, and she confesses that she's kind of feeling the Christmas spirit for the first time. Lucas insists it is the most wonderful time of the year, but then he has to go get ready before going on the air. Sarah looks over the schedule to see who's going to be with her for the lonely Christmas morning broadcast which usually only has a skeleton crew and lots of replacements uh, but she sees Lucas has requested to do the show. Things click and she wonders if Lucas is really Christmas. On Christmas morning at the office Lucas comes in and finds everything fully decked out in holiday decorations and Sarah dressed up as a reindeer. He asks what in the world is going on and she asks him if he has been leaving her presence. He admits that it has been him. He loves Christmas more than any other time of the year and the only thing dragging the season down for him has been seeing Sarah so serious for the last couple of years. If he could see her smile at Christmas he'd have two of his favorite things in the world at once. I forgot to write an ending. After that moment, I'm going to assume the kiss because it's Hallmark. <laughs> they, they begin dating from there, there on out. Sure. I just got to the end of that paragraph and thought that just stopped. <laughs> so, <laughs> so from there on, some blossoming romance yeah. comes to fruition. You had a good thing going there for a while. I, I thought for a minute that Christmas was just Sunday Christoph. <laughs> was that, that like like the ethereal Christmas? <laughs> oh, Christmas was actually like Christmas personified yes. as some spiritual entity was leaving stuff on her desk saying, "I don't hate you." Yes, stop saying that. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> yeah, but okay, I guess it's okay that it's not. I kind of like your version <laughs> where it's Christmas itself. Not not so much a romantic ending to that one. Though. No, no. <laughs> she becomes a mystical being of light. <laughs> <laughs> okay, with love. Christmas. Uh, is this what what network are we? Hallmark. Doing? Hallmark. Hallmark uh, proper, I believe. I feel like we're like Hallmark all the uh, str straight it, up and down this this year. Well, 
they were the ones making a lot of uh, Christmas movie <laughs> announcements. They do just by sheer weight number. Uh, there's going to be quite a few hallmarks chosen mm-hmm. for these titles. Okay. Yeah. Ad executive Melanie is teamed up with uptight coworker Donovan to come up with the ultimate Christmas commercial for a new cell phone. To complicate matters, Donovan is also Melanie's secret Santa recipient. When Donovan mistakenly assumes another coworker is his secret Santa, Melanie must work to show him that she's the only Santa for him. Okay, so Todd had Morgan Freeman's voice. Yeah. Strong opening salvo on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, a video essay about how Christmas matters. And this is a great time of year. Which is certainly something I, I want to exist. I had the Hallmark, I, I, the I, business romance yes. angle. I feel like Joseph's is a really nice reinterpretation of the grumpy person starts to get the Christmas spirit thing. Classic go-to. I mean, yes, I might say an archetypal Christmas it, story in a way that I had not seen before with, you know, just literally <laughs> Christmas encroaching upon her until she felt Christmassy. And the real one is uh, some sort of secret Santa thing. <laughs> <laughs> not, not feeling the, the, the real. Um, I'm going to go with Joseph. Nice. Really? I I am. But the the really hard part is like I very much want both of yours to exist. Like if I, I could scrap one of the other ones that you guys had said and, and, get, and get both of these. Yeah. I I really I like would. Todd's. I w- I would watch that right now. <laughs> I just, I think everyone would I would stop recording and go watch that. Yes. But <laughs> but it's it's shorter and and consumes less time. And I really want to see Joseph's cuz I want to see that that person like change over to Christmas spirit. Cause I really like the Christmas spirit. Yeah. Okay. Todd's is a little too heavy. What's our last one that we have left here, Todd? Is it ultimate Christmas? Present? The ultimate, it's Christmas the ultimate Christmas present. Not to be confused with All right, the perfect so Christmas producer present. Andrew sent us this list and it had both switched for Christmas and a very merry mix up. And also both the perfect Christmas and the ultimate Christmas or the perfect Christmas present and the ultimate Christmas, the ultimate Christmas present. Christmas present. Uh, I did, however, refrain from including Two films, which not only sound similar, but premiere the same night this year. Coming Home for Christmas and Christmas Homecoming. <laughs> so it could have been three of those. All right. Uh, I will just say we might not be ending. Uh, well, OK, we're not ending on my strongest, strongest note. We all saw my strongest note. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've given my, my strongest swing <laughs> these titles so far. We'll see what comes up with Ultimate Christmas Present. After 15 years of marriage, Edward is more excited than he's ever been to give his wife, Amelia, her present. In the first years of marriage, he'd had an easy time shopping for her. Jewelry, a book about a Yeti, a puppy. But soon, her jewelry stand was filled up, as were the bookshelves, and the puppy became a big dog. After a few years, she was still thankful for the gifts he gave her, but they were less special. A new KitchenAid mixer. This one upgraded to the 7-quart bowl instead of the 4.5-quart bowl they'd gotten when they were married. <laughs> uh, a heavy comforter for the bed because she got cold in the winter. Or a new electric toothbrush. So for the last several years, he, knowing that he'd gotten a little stale in his gift giving, he'd been saving up secretly for the ultimate Christmas present. You see, Amelia is big into cryptozoology. I dropped a little hint up, up at the top the of the book about the Yeti. Yeah, the Yeti. Yeah, so Edward is surprising her with a Yeti hunting expedition. Not hunting with guns, people, of course. Who would want to kill such a majestic creature? Hunting with a camera, the new Canon EOS 1D X Mark II digital camera with an SLR <laughs> body and Lexar 64 gigabyte professional 3500X fast memory card and a Ritz Gear 70-inch deluxe premium tripod with monopod kit and Ritz Gear back bundle. It would be the surprise of Amelia's lifetime. And the major financial backer for this. 
picture. <laughs> yes. How many times do characters need to say that in full? Oh, uh, in full, at least five times in the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's never hand me the camera. It's... Every, everyone knows the full. <laughs> yeah, it is hand me the Canon EOS 1DX Mark II digital camera with an SLR camera uh, Okay. okay. Yeah. Et cetera. Yes. Uh, of course, Amelia is ecstatic that she's got the camera and a trip to Tibet. They had a th- they have three and a half weeks to explore Tibet and snap the first photograph of the elusive Yeti. Of course, the joint excitement wear off a bit as the cold and boredom kick in. It turns out tracking never before verified mythical creatures is hard work. But with only three days left, Amelia thinks she sees something moving in a cave up on the mountain. They both look through the lens of their camera, which has very nice zoom capabilities that we demonstrated <laughs> in this sequence. Uh, but they can't see anything for sure, so they begin to hike up the cave. On their way up, Edward slips and he falls into a crevasse and Amelia drops her camera oh boy uh the cannon <laughs> yeah just kidding i'm not gonna do it uh she drops her camera and runs to rescue him it takes lots of hard work and time but eventually edward and amelia are both out of the crevasse and exhausted they decide you know what we're just gonna call it a trip because we're both safe right now and they head home on the plane amelia thanks edward for the trip he asks if she's disappointed that they never saw yeti and she says she's just relieved that edward is okay besides they have beautiful pictures even if there isn't a yeti in any of them she takes out the camera to look at the pictures and she finds a series of absurd selfies of a yeti that must have been taken while she and edward were getting out of the crevasse <laughs> like tongue sticking out making weird faces uh, that's awesome he was very happy to find that camera i like it all right ready yeah this is the last one a swing for the fences, even though I've already lost. I think I, I, I'm, I will fight for with love Christmas for forever. <laughs> I, 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 think, like, I, I really do want to swap out like one of Joseph's earlier ones. And, and well, I, I can tell you, I'm sitting across from Andrew. That was his biggest wrestle was the with love Christmas <laughs> choice. All right. I mean, if you would have given it to me, then it would have come down to this. But here we go. Uh, the ultimate Christmas present. This David and Goliath sports story centers on the aspirations of Garth Delroy Bryan, a 16-year-old sophomore at Washington High School in Reno, Nevada. Garth, you see, has just one goal in life. He wants to make it as a professional ultimate Frisbee player. The trouble is, well, he's never actually played. But he has watched a lot of YouTube videos, and he feels pretty confident that with a good team surrounding him and some training with ankle weights, he could really have a shot at the big leagues. The thing is, nobody at GW High wants to play, and the rich kids at Steve Jobs High always take the ultimate trophy. But this year, everything changes when, as an early Christmas present, Garth's best friend, the charismatic and mischievous Sammy, uh, somehow convinces five other misfits from their school to make up a team to compete in the 10th annual Reno City Ultimate Christmas Ultimate Frisbee Tournament. But with only a couple of months to practice, will Garth be able to whip himself and his friends into shape? Will his ultimate Christmas present turn into the ultimate Christmas disaster? Or will it ultimately prove to be the stepping stone Garth always needed to reach his ultimate dreams? It's Napoleon. <laughs> this last sentence sort of got away from me. It's Napoleon Dynamite meets the My Ducks meets Christmas in a film quite unlike anything you've seen before. Now, remind me, did we open up this whole thing with a very merry mix-up? <laughs> yes, we did. It's a nice bookend. No, actually, we, we, we opened with a Switch. We opened with, with oh, Switch at Christmas. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Which I also <laughs> thought was a strong salvo, but apparently Andrew's not in the mood for anything deep or thought-provoking I, at Christmas time. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like... I had I a guy creating demon, got... demons as one of his favorites. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yours was good. <laughs> I think you guys got stronger as as you went. Is that how you planned it out, or uh... I don't know that I finished on a strong note with my Yeti selfies. <laughs> that was more just what can make someone laugh. <laughs> a bunch of Yeti selfies. This one I had to abbreviate from the synopsis found on Wikipedia. 
for another Disney Channel original movie. Okay. Which I have seen multiple Kenny Ortega? times. Kenny Ortega? Kenny no. Ortega? <laughs> he didn't uh. direct all of them. There was a, there was a Kenny few Kenny Ortega's our new favorite director. <laughs> Spielberg, <laughs> meh. Give me Kenny uh, Ortega. <laughs> I think Joseph needs to do a separate podcast where he just discusses all of Kenny Ortega's works. And it's just called like Talking Ortega. Which at this point I am a, I I've seen Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I've seen that Newsies? episode of Gilmore Girls, and yes, I've seen Newsies. So you're you're halfway there. <laughs> Two teen girls find a weather machine belonging to Santa at a shack in the woods. After learning of its controls, they use it to make make it snow in Los Angeles. They live in Los Angeles, <laughs> so that's that's why they they did it there. <laughs> Santa. Two girls from Alberta, Canada decide to make it snow in Los Angeles. Anyway, Santa Claus informs Mrs. Claus about this, and she sends two elves, Crumpet and Sparky, to help. A weatherman named Edwin Hadley tries to figure out what is causing the strange weather and track it down to keep himself from getting fired. Santa, Sparky, and Crumpet start tracking down the girls based on the footprint in the snow. Soon the snowstorm gets, gets so large that it spreads to San Francisco, and Allie's dad gets snowed in at the airport and cannot make it home in time for Christmas. Allie tries to turn it off, but the night, but overnight, it turns itself back on and creates a blizzard. Edwin mag- manages to trace the weather phenomenon to Allie's house. Santa, Crumpet, and Sparky find the girls. Edwin gets into the house, steals the weather machine, and is cornered by the girls, Santa, and the elves. He announces his plan to be the best weatherman in history, because he can, you know, control the weather. <laughs> uh, during his escape, he crashes into a chocolate-making factory, where he falls into a chocolate vat. The group follows his trail to the chocolate factory and then follows his trail, his chocolatey trail, to reclaim the weather machine. At Santa's shack, they manage to fix the weather machine. Santa forgot to put in the right batteries and stop the weather. Santa then tells Edwin that there is another type of job that deals with weather. Crumpet and Sparky pick up Allie's dad just in time for Christmas morning. Meanwhile, Hadley gets a job in the Antarctic teaching scientists about the weather. (laughs) Okay. That's uh, that's the actual ultimate Christmas present. They have some discussions about like controlling the weather and giving snow to California. I don't understand what the title of that has to do with the actual story. It doesn't. I'm pretty sure. Todd's was pretty closely aligned. Yes. (laughs) And, and, you know, we need more Christmas time sports films. So I'm giving that one to Todd. It's a narrow victory for me, Todd. It's four to three to one for Hallmark. I, Yeah. It was a well-fought battle. Yeah. Well, listeners, we hope you enjoyed that. And uh, let us know which ones were your favorites. Or if you disagree with producer Andrew's choices on any of those to give Todd the tie or the win. That wraps up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episodes number 105 and number 50, which are our first two Christmas specials when we played the same game, but with wildly different show titles that producer Andrew had <laughs> given to us. It's it's just such a fun grab bag every year, whatever uh, are, Andrew sends to us. There are so many, and Hallmark is making more than enough each year for us to keep doing this forever. I don't know that Todd and I have the creativity to keep doing this (laughs) each year. But again, as long as Hallmark's doing it, we should try and do it. 
we're not even matching the number of actual films they produce every year with our pitches. Uh, you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at DizMinute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners, and we'd love to hear uh, you drop by and say hello anytime. And please let us know what your favorites were from this year's round of made-up Christmas specials. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. Todd, I don't have an outro up. <laughs> Do you? Um, quickly, quickly. Yes. No, but I could. I can pull one up. I know episodes 105 and 50 were our last Christmas specials. I just looked those up. Uh, Todd, just say so long, and then we can stop, and I can record Joseph reading an outro. Yes, let's do that. I'm okay. I've still got uh, 4%. No, no, we're not going to risk it. Okay. We can't, we can't risk it cutting down, shutting down during the long. So, so we, I'm just going to end the recording. Uh, okay. Say so long. So long. <laughs>